Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 88, um, which means that it's the second in our Element series and also the second in um, the season where we're talking about place um, and writing place. Um, yeah, so um, in this episode I get to talk to Victor Roger, um, one of my favourite people in the whole wide world. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm very grateful that a few years ago Victor and my paths crossed and that I get to talk to him um, about all sorts of things. And in this episode um, we record a conversation which sort of uses an imaginary place and as sort of the starting place to talk about what it is to write setting and um, yeah it's really great because Victor has written um, across theatre, fiction um, and memoir, non-fiction, life writing so it's um, yeah I I really enjoyed the conversation and the conversation opens up into other things Um, we don't just talk about place we talk about all sorts of things Um, but I think that place is always the starting point of that conversation so I hope you enjoy the conversation Um, and yeah thank you very much Victor. Um, Now this was recorded in my living room um, because the place where I normally record was still closed for Christmas Um, and you can hear my dog quite a lot I'm really sorry Um, she does not bark but um, there is quite a lot of tapping and jumping up and down and at one point she shakes her head and flops her ears so I'm sorry about that and I hope it's not too distracting Um, the other thing I just wanted to say was that at the end of the conversation Victor and I talk a little bit about Rurangi. Um, um, Victor had just seen it the night before, and um, yeah, it's it's one of the most exciting things I think that happened last year. So um, this is um, you can see it in cinemas um, from the fourth of February, um, and it is just this uh, amazing, amazing um, piece of um, yeah, cinema. It's fantastic. It was directed by Max Curry. It was written by um, Cole Myers. And um, yeah, I would just go to rurangi.com. I'll put a, um, I'll put a um, link on our website um, and just have a read. Um, I think that it is, uh, there's a section on the website called Our Kaupapa and in there is just um, some of the amazing things that um, the people who made this film did to um yeah it's just it's it's a beautiful piece of cinema and it was made in a beautiful way and I just highly recommend it and like I say um it's in New Zealand cinemas from the 4th of February so yeah I would seek it out so yeah that's um that um oh, also it stars um Al's Carrad um just yeah it's just the cast is amazing the uh it looks beautiful the script is incredible yeah it's fantastic and um yeah so Victor and I talk a little bit about that at the end um I think that's everything I've got I just also want to thank Copyright Licensing New Zealand um who have funded this um year-long season very grateful for that and yeah I hope you enjoy the um podcast and thank you very much Victor. Hi, Pat. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thanks for 
Thanks for having me. You're awesome. Um, the first thing that I ask people to do on the podcast is to introduce themselves. Um, however you sort of want to do that. Yeah, so. Okay, so my name is Victor Roger and I am of Samoan and Scottish heritage and I am a son of Christchurch originally. Uh, and I've been living in Wellington for the last four wow. years. Yeah. Far out. Quite a while. That's me. <laughs> and I'm really excited because you um, agreed to, well, you're willing to talk about um, Club Paradiso as a place. Um, you know, it's the title of your play, but also sort of. Um, as a place, as a setting. And I just, if it's okay with you, I just wanted to read, I love, this is one of the most exciting things, is I was just, I was just reading the set direction that's in the play Club Paradiso, and it says, the set's simple, a table, some chairs, a karaoke machine, and a hand-drawn poster proclaiming Club Paradiso with the O in the shape of a coconut. And I was just thinking like, it's so little, but it says so much. And I'm wondering, um, what does it mean to sort of hand over so little yet so much to someone who's putting on the play, like to the director or the set designer? Yeah, well, look, to be, um, to be honest, the version that you're reading or have read uh, was slightly adjusted after the first production in 2015. So that coconut with the, the, the O, the O was a coconut that came from the first production. And I think in the original script, in the original script, I would have been very minimal with my stage directions. I think that is something I learnt right at the beginning of my career, almost 30 years ago, um, when my first play got workshopped. And... Um, Alison Puigan, who is a um, celebrated actress and writer, was my dramaturg. And I'd written really full-on stage directions, like the actor does this, the actor does that, and probably described all the things I imagined in, in, in minute detail. And she was like, no, just keep it really minimal. And ever since then, I have kept stage directions pretty minimal because... You know, I'm not a director, I don't have that skill set, and I've never really wanted that skill set. Um, so when you hand it over to a director, and luckily, if I can touch wood somewhere, all the, <laughs> you know, all the experiences I've had pretty much as a playwright um, with directors have been positive, and they've all pretty much been more than I imagined. Mm. And um, the sets are sometimes a real surprise for me. But um, with Club Paradiso, yeah, I, I seem to recall it was just always going to be very minimal what was going to be on stage. Because in your mind, like that's the thing I find really interesting. Like I've seen it a couple of times now and on both occasions the set was very minimal. You know, it wasn't like they tried to reproduce, you know, at, at the bar. But in, there's something very clever about the way you write that I feel feel like if I had to go to that place I'd know where to go for the bar where to, those sorts of things do you do you imagine the actors in that space as you're writing or do you think that you're hearing the voices as if they're sort of in a different room 
Yeah, I was thinking about that on the way here. I think when I wrote it, the thing I was most invested in was the, the dynamics between the characters. Mm. And I had a vague idea of the space, but it wasn't crystal clear in my head. The, the, the title actually comes from um, a, a bar um, that was slash is an otara. And um, I was doing a little bit of work out that way about however many years ago, five, six years ago. And I saw, I think it's called Paradise Bar now, but it's also been known as Club Paradiso. And this is around the time that I was starting to develop this particular piece. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like that as a, a name. Um, and I never actually got to go inside that bar. I had a look at it online on their Facebook page. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, I've got a, um, had some experience of bars in South Auckland mm. where the play is set. And um, yeah, just used my imagination. But no, to your question didn't imagine it specifically but yeah and like the whole play takes place in one place and mm. and the title you know the, it takes the title from the place and I just wonder um I don't even know what the question is there I'm just what is it because time unfolds sort of in real time in the play as well doesn't it like mm. there's never a point where you know it's like five minutes later and stuff like that all real time and that just builds the intensity so do you think there's something in the fact that it is in one place that builds the intensity like because the doors are locked eh? like there's there's no escape for anyone but that's right and and um by extension there's no escape for the audience you know i think um it's had two productions 2015 in auckland 2019 in wellington um and I think that's one of the, the main bits of feedback in both cases where the people felt like they were actually in the club mm, and mm, trapped mm, along mm, with mm, the, um, the people in the play because, um, yeah, the play is about, you know, it's about, I think it's like five people, they're the last punters um, left in a, a, a bar early one morning and then a um, merciless psychopath and a sidekick burst in and start wreaking all sorts of unspeakable... Um, things upon them and um, you know I loved it <laughs> I loved it that it was able to both the words married with the sets which in both cases have been in quite small theatres have, have, have had that effect on people where they felt like they were in it with the cast because I mean I think that is what stands out more than almost anything for me is like that visceral like I and to the point where I felt like I was in danger and, you know, like, I just, I just think that there's something in the conjuring of that place as well, do you know what I mean? Like, because it felt like somewhere I felt familiar with as well and it's sort of a place, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's different, but some of those places do feel like there is a dynamic that could sort of go off, you know, like, and I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Um... And yeah, exactly like what you're saying, I think that it definitely, because the first time I ever saw it was actually in that rehearsal space down opposite uh, the school, the high school. Um, yeah, it's where um, Takirua yeah, are based. Yeah, yeah. The Hukainga, that's yeah. called. Yeah. And like that, 
there was some, I was, and that was really interesting because there was no lighting. <laughs> there was you know it was all just a play reading was shit. a play reading. Yes. So people just had their yes. scripts and yeah. yes, and it was just it was just freaking amazing. I just it's yeah it's one of my um it's just one of my favorite things. Um. One of the things that happens in the play that I also think is quite interesting is that some of the action takes um, place off. I, mm. I, I sort of think of it as off stage, but yeah, there is there is um, at least one scene where the main character grabs another character and takes her off stage and does stuff, and we hear stuff, but we don't know for sure what's happening, but we can imagine. And it's brutal and horrific, and and almost worse for the imagining rather than the showing. Do you absolutely, think? That, again, that's that's um, been a, a really uh, common piece of feedback for that that piece. But you know, partly um, that was because I didn't I didn't want to see that. Yeah. And I didn't want an audience to be sub- I mean, the audience are subjected to quite a lot <laughs> in this play, you know, um, and we didn't need to see that. And I just think this idea of being able to go off stage, I'm wondering um, when you write fiction, do you think that we have the same way of using setting as that, you know, like the overheard conversation or the, I was thinking about um, the story, oh God, I've forgotten the name of it. Um, I want to call it Cinderella. Like Cinderella. Yeah. I love that story so much. Like, there's stuff that... Some of the characters are not on stage all the time in that, you know. And I just wonder, you know, do you think about space in this three-dimensional way when you're writing... You know, if you're thinking about dynamics, you know, when you're writing Club Paradiso, Mm. is it a similar sort of um, thing when you're writing fiction, do you think? Oh, God. I mean, who knows? I mean, I... You know, I... To be perfectly frank, you know, when I hear a lot of writers talking about their process and how they get to where they get to, I'm like, I joke that I'm shallow and vacuous, but then I'm not so sure it's a joke <laughs> after I listen to some of them because I'm like, I don't, I don't, I really don't understand how I do it. I just know that on an intuitive level, I feel when it, uh, for whatever form, be it film or TV or theatre or fiction can intuitively feel when it's in the ballpark and can intuitively feel when it's a load of old cobblers that I would never want the public to to read. Um, I don't know if that answers your question at all. I I love it. Because I often think that sometimes... Oh, God, I was about to get all about it, but I was thinking sometimes that emptying out, you know, like, sometimes what I want to be is a vacuum, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Easier, right? I, well, yeah. Easier. And especially for a dullard like me. But, I mean, you know, like, sometimes that is where I want to go. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too clever. I want to be led by the work, you know what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, I know, I mean, I, one of the, the big things I learned, because I had, um, fortunate enough to have um, three writing residencies um, in a row, a few years ago, Dunedin, Wellington, and um, up in Devonport, and um, that was when I was just starting to dabble with fiction, and one thing um, I realised during those residencies was you land, you have to accept that you land where you land as a writer, 
you know, for me, I think I would have loved to have been writing like Toni Morrison or, or, or James Baldwin. But, you know, if I'm honest, I'm much closer to Jackie Collins, you know, and that's only half a joke. And perhaps it's not even a joke, but that's where I am, you know, it's not as, it's, and that was quite a big thing to have to accept that that's where I land as a writer. Oh, I love that. I really love it. And I didn't laugh because I love Jackie Collins. As well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did her. too. I, I did too. Her. And like, I mean, as a kid, that was, we went, you know, like those were the books we had in our house and I freaking loved them, you know, and I think that I got a lot of my, those dynamics of character. She does amazingly. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I've got to say, yes, Hollywood Wives has, <gasps> has stuck with me for quite some time. And but... such good sex. Well, I don't know if it's good sex, but I mean... Memorable. Yes, memorable sex. That's the way to go. Memorable with no bodily fluids. Yeah. where clothes effortlessly fall off and they're all kind of very flexible and talented. Yeah, it's just... She's she's my star. Um, do you... That's interesting that... Because um, I always think of Club Paradiso being in, um, you know, an Auckland bar. I don't know why. Although, yeah. I think there are similar bars in Christchurch. And I just... Yeah, actually... Maybe, but I mean, uh, to be honest, um, part of Club Paradiso was driven by um, a cast that I'd worked with in a previous play called um, Girl on a Corner, and me wanting to have a vehicle for them to move into next, and um, almost all the cast were from South Auckland, so that partly led to the play being set in South Auckland, even though I got a little bit of pushback. For that, since I'm not from South Auckland, I'm very much a Christchurch, you know, <laughs> import. Um, but yeah, I um, I said it actually literally in uh, Flatbush, which mm. is a suburb, that, a newish suburb, right next to Otara, and um, kind of ignored that there was a club parody, so in Otara and moved it into into Flatbush just so I could get a Flatbush um, gag into the into the script <laughs> it's one of my favorite gags because in this script you know i think the first 10 15 pages are full of as many gags as i could put in there mm, because mm. as soon as the psychopathic character um uh walks in it sort of doesn't let up from that moment on and in fact just gets increasingly worse and you know it's uh yeah it's a trip it's the one i'm most proudest of this this piece i think because of the uh, reaction that audiences had and and the fact that audiences had to have a reaction it's not a piece that people could be ambivalent mm. about they either really responded to it uh, positively or negatively but they had a response yeah I think I think that's true and I think um, you know like I would be hard pressed to um, choose a favorite work of yours but I do think that there is something extremely like I as a, I never went to theatre a lot when I, I, I sort of don't quite get theatre um, until um, I sort of started seeing some of these works where I think, oh yeah, the audience being here makes a difference. You know what I mean? Like th this, you know, like there, there's some kind of energy, sorry, getting all thingy again, but there's something, the person next to me tensing is making this experience, you know, different. And it kind of made me fall in love with theatre a little bit. Like, I, I, well, a lot actually. And yeah. 
you, this must, I re, the other thing that I feel very jealous of um, with theatre writers is this idea that you can bring this collaborative kind of, you know, like obviously it's not totally collaborative, but this idea that you can bring other people's experience and other people's um, sort of familiarity with space along as well, eh? like, because it's it's well documented, you know, that you wanted this as a vehicle for a couple, you know, the, the, the actors that are in it, eh? Yeah, and specifically, or well, actually, there were the young ones that were all from South Auckland, but um, uh, this was written as a vehicle for my mate, Robbie Mangasiva, who I've worked with a lot, and who, in his, um, you know, film and TV work, like in Sione's Wedding and, and Wentworth, Shortland Street, um, maybe not so much Wentworth, but definitely the other ones, didn't always get a chance to, to really push his range, and mm. he really got to explore the limits of his range with Club Paradiso mm, mm. because the actual very starting point with this piece was um, me asking Robbie what haven't you played that you want to play and he said evil that yeah. was all he said evil yeah. and so I went away to London and LA and had to think about it and somehow came up with this after watching I kept watching Jesus Christ Superstar the musical <laughs> Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Tommy the musical yeah. on loop. Yeah. And for some reason... <laughs> you can see it. They... they <laughs> you get... Wow. Well, yeah, they kind of fed me. Especially Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf because um, the film version is... is um, it's a little bit opened out from the play, but it's generally one mm. uh, one mm. setting in mm. the, the apartment of the... or well, the house of the, the academic mm. uh, main character and his, and his wife. And, um, yes, yes, it's gosh, it's taken me back to the before times in London <laughs> and L.A. now. <laughs> Speaking about London and L.A., and, like, you've mentioned Girl on the Corner, and I was thinking about Donnie's dialogue as well. Like, these are set overseas, and I think Donnie's dialogue's interesting in particular because you have two Samoan people, one who's from New Zealand... Um, that's right, Donnie's not I think from they're, New Zealand. They're both, they're both, well, I don't know that it's actually uh, explicit in the story, but they're both, in my mind, some Kiwi Samoans. Sweet. They, they both happen to be in the UK, in London. Because what's, like, you've been overseas quite a bit, but um, I was just thinking how um, there's that great bit about where they first meet, you know, in the, in the railway station, eh? Yeah. And, like, you know, there's something of a... I felt like I could get that because I'd been there. But what is it... Do you think there's... A, do you think like you're more mobile in fiction to go more places? And B, what is it to write um, you know, a place that you holiday in or that you've lived in for short amount of times? Do you think there's any difference in it? Well, your point of view is your point... I mean, I know London yeah. reasonably well. Yeah. But your point of view is your point of view. Maybe your point of view stick <laughs> to someone that knows it better, but it's, yeah. your, it's your point of view. Like, I felt pretty comfortable writing um, that bit of, that brief bit of, um, what was it, Paddington and yeah. Donnie's dialogue. I mean, the bigger thing for me is, well, in that particular story, when do we get to see, uh, like, one of them's an academic, one of them's a writer, they're both pretty bougie, educated, Polynesian gay men. When do we get a chance to see that in print? And we, I don't know that we have. So mm. I'm, I'm kind of proud of that piece for that mm. in terms of the representation, which is sort of my 
my point of view and something that I've wanted to, to see in the fiction. And um, yeah, glad I've been able to add that to the the canon. Because that's, yeah, and you see, that's, I mean, like, uh, sorry, I jumped in, but I was just thinking about the work of Tony Birch's and I was thinking that your work and his work in that way, yeah, like I remember talking to him once about how, um, you know, there was an idea of what an indigenous Australian story looked like. And, like, he was like, no, I'm going to write about lawyers. And it was like, oh, but, you know, and I think that's what's really interesting um, about about Donnie's dialogue in particular is that, you know, there's all these facets and they come together in a place that's not home in a way. Mm. You know, they're, they're not just successful in... I don't know, like um, Westmere, you know, th- this kind of successful on that international kind of stage, sort of. Yeah, and it, it's not, it isn't out there, and I just think, <clears throat> I think about this with, um, definitely with the theatre work, in terms of the spectrum of how we, we are as Polynesians doesn't always get into the work, and mm. it's the same with, with fiction, there's a real spectrum of how we are, you know, and I think um, the more I can do to bust that wide open, the happier mm. I am. Because mm. I was just thinking, even with, um, like, there is that thing with um, the way that he plays Q. It's QA. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, he's an extremely good-looking person. Do you know, there's something of that in the in the way as well, you know, like, the... the um, yeah, that shows range in a way as well, eh? Like, because maybe casting the psychopath might have been slightly different in other ways. Yeah, it's hard to imagine anyone else doing that yeah. role apart from Robbie. He felt, yeah. I mean, um, I, I went to Toifukari New Zealand Drama School and trained as an actor, but only really worked for about the first year after <laughs> drama school because I'm not hugely wonderful. Um, but I... I, I really admire actors who are what I call free and can mm. kind of go, mm. kind of go anywhere, mm. and you can see it. Um, and not everyone has it, but Robbie, um, especially in this role, mm. was disturbingly free. You know. Yeah, it's outstanding because I mean, even that must be quite. It's a hard thing to be associated with such an evil role as well. Eh? Like, it, yeah, yeah, but I think for well, I can't talk for him, but I. Well, I'm about to. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I think for him, uh, great for him to, to have that opportunity to, to hit those notes that mm. he hasn't had a chance really mm. to to hit in his other work. Mm. And you too, I imagine, eh? Oh, like, yeah. totally me too. Yeah. I mean, um, when I cast my mind back to the before times um, in LA writing this, and I wrote it in a kind of feverish two. I think it was two days, two or three days. But this was after mulling over it in London for a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. Um, as I've said um, in the past, a big part of the process with this particular play was um, I had to continually ask myself, can I bring myself to type the thought that I've just had, even though it's just me and a laptop in this room in Los Angeles? Can I? Can I really write this off-limits thing that has just come into my head while I am exploring evil through this character Q. And um, ultimately, I mean, yes, I can and did, and so glad I did, you know? Mm. It's a tough, tough work. I mean, it was funny watching it again in 2019 here in Wellington, because part of me was going, far out, I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, 
Yeah, I am. I am really glad I did. And I think, um, just to get back to that idea of place, there is something incredibly, um, I think it, it is almost more frightening because it is a familiar kind of place, you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking about, um, you know, like, I, I just think about, I feel like I was steeped in American literature and American film and American violence. And to bring that home, I, you know, like there's a different relationship to it, I think, in a way. Can we talk about America? Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yes. Uh, yes. Wow. We are recording this the day after whatever happened in Congress happened in Congress. So, yeah. yeah. And I do, like, I guess one way of getting into, like, your relationship with America is the authors that you read. Mm. And I wonder if you. Yeah, I just wonder about, I know that for me, like having spent years reading American writing, I have this version of America in my head um, where I feel like I understand it. And then when I went there, I was like, oh, wow, it's, you know, these are the things I didn't notice. And I just wonder, like, do you, do you, is setting something that you notice in books, do you think? Or do you think you're, you know, I don't know, like, I'm just thinking about Baldwin at the moment. Oh, this is getting a bit thinky-winky for I me. I know. But... Do you like it? <laughs> I'm going to try it on. <laughs> try it on and see if it fits. <laughs> um, setting. America. Yeah, I mean, gosh, my... Um, yeah. When I, when I finally left um, Jackie Collins behind, um, <laughs> you know, my primary writers that I was reading were James Baldwin and Joan Didion. Mm, yeah. and, and probably have been more American than anything else when I think about it. Setting, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question, Pip, but I mean, this isn't so much about setting. I will say the one thing that hadn't really sunk into me from what I read until I lived in the States, well, stayed in the States for a little while in 2006 when I had a Fulbright, or 2000, was it 2006? Yeah, 2006. Um, the issue of race had not really sunk in for me how full on it is in the States I remember watching a um, documentary called Eyes on the Prize on PBS in Hawaii uh, set during the civil rights movement and just going nothing has changed it has on the surface but not on the underneath and that's really been borne out in the last well especially in the last 40 years or so mm. um but yes, America. I, I, one of my plays, uh, My Name is Gary Cooper, which mm. I wrote in 2007, is partially set in 1973 Los Angeles. And the bulk of that research comes from reading Rhoda Barrett's Gossip <laughs> magazine as yeah. a young, you know, primary school kid and pouring over all that old Hollywood lore. Mm. And um, yeah, reading about Ballier Mansions and Beverly Hills stuff and it was interesting um, seeing it as an adult going to those pl well have I been to Bali I've been through Beverly Hills I'm going okay <laughs> not quite what I imagined mm, you know because mm. I was thinking as well about Girl on the Corner like you've got that interesting situation where you've got a, a um, someone person you know in America having a very it's such I fucking love that place so much but you know like it's it's a 
it's a very it feels like a very american experience you know you know perhaps one that i don't know like yeah 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 i mean that so that's so this is um shall i talk about yeah, briefly? Please, so it's, it's, yeah. um, that's a play that i i wrote um inspired by Shalama Seuli, who was a Fafafine from American Samoa, who moved to LA when she was pretty young, um, and ended up uh, working as a, a, a prostitute and was caught early one morning with Eddie Murphy in his car um, by the cops. And Eddie Murphy was like, Oh, I was just giving this woman a ride home, you know. And um, she died the following year. Uh, the age of 21, which I found really sad. That really moved me when I found that out because I thought, gosh, this is a young person who hasn't had a chance to fulfill their dreams. Um, and especially after this brush with, you know, the Hollywood fame machine, you know, it's all over. Um, that play is a very, in its own way, a very Samoan play for me because the character is a American Samoan kind of fish out of water telling her version or her alternate version of what could have happened mm. or what she would have liked to have happened um, instead of what did happen. Um, and the bulk of the characters in there are actually American Samoan. Mm. Mm. You know, there's a few, there's Eddie Murphy's floating around there and a few, you know, odd American... Uh, oh, there's even some Indian characters. Mm. In there. There's the mm. guy, mm. the Taj Mahal guy and his yeah. wife and there's the guy, yeah. Um, oh my god, yeah. Because um, one of the things that I think is interesting with that play is that unlike um, Paradiso, it, it moves, doesn't it? Like it goes back to Samoa and... Is that right? Like there's an imagined... It imagine, goes all over the show. Yeah. It goes all over the show. It goes in and out of fantasy and reality. It goes from, uh, yeah, American Samoa to LA to the Taj Mahal to... Um, the dude who created Guerlain, um, Shalomar Perfume, everywhere. That's probably the the one example of a play where I, I kind of could go anywhere or felt like I could go anywhere. And that's because the um, the main character, Shalomar, is like, if she doesn't like how the real story went, she offers these, these alternative versions of what could have or should have and her mind happened. Because I think when I saw that, I was really made aware of this other thing that theatre can do where you can be sitting in one place and be taken somewhere else, you know what I mean? Which was quite... Um, I know, I just sound like, like the dumbest person ever that I didn't realise that before, but I think there's just something so amazing because that is another... You know, it, it's another play, I think, which is held by... A, you know, one of the performances is extremely important in it. And that being able to be taken by that performance to a totally different space. Mm. And then to sort of... I, I remember um, sort of coming to and going, oh, I'm here. You know, like, well, I just... I really, I really love it. I really love it. Thank you. Um, we've talked a lot about spaces that have sort of, you know, a fictional. And I'm just wondering if you would be willing to talk just for a minute about... Um, Finally, this is closure, or yeah. any of the other sort of essays you've done. What is it turning like... my my father son relationship into a cottage industry? You mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> joking. JK. Um, well, I'm always grateful for it. You know, I'm always grateful for it. I'm, I'm there for it all the time. Um, but that essay in particular, like, there are remembered spaces in it. You know what I mean? Like, there's, um, there's some interesting, you know, like, um, uh, like, why no is there, eh? And is that right? No, there's, there's like the home, you know, so there's. Wainoni, all, yeah, Wainoni. Yeah. Yeah, Wainoni, sorry, oops, wrong place. Um, but yeah, what's it like to remember a space when you're writing? Like, I mean, do you find that you want to give more detail when you're doing that or less detail or like, because when I do it, everything falls out and like there's no detail at all. Everyone's like, where are they standing? And I'm like, ah, oh, in space. All I can say about that essay, which essentially charts um, the relationship between my father and I, starting with my birth and ending in his death, is that it tumbled out of me, mm. you mm. know? Mm. And it's one of those ones that I look back at and I was like, I couldn't actually tell you how I did it. Mm. The main work for that was pairing it back. Because I actually wrote it for the um, same, same but different LGBTQIA oh, plus right. um, festival. The provocation for this particular session that I was part of was... Um, Philip Larkin's poem, They Fuck You Up, Your Mum and Dad. <laughs> and um, when I did that particular piece, when I finally sat down to write it, I just heard that first line, which was, um, he comes to see you when you're a, a baby. And um, it just kind of all tumbled out from, from there. It seemingly dictated itself in terms of like what, what anecdotes, what settings, what places made the cut and what mm. didn't and I think it pretty much hit all the significant um, places that my father and I met and you know uh, Samoa, Christchurch and Brisbane are mm. the three uh, main places where we met you know and yeah it ends um, at his funeral well at his grave where I uh, help help dig him, dig him in it's just it's just the most um it's a mag it's a magnificent essay it's absolutely incredible um when you I, this is a curly one and you don't have to like when you talk about this process of things falling out and intuitively sort of following things when you're working with other writers do you think there's something we need to do to prepare ourselves so that it does fall out of us, if you know what I mean? Like, is there a certain kind of honesty or experience that needs to happen? I don't know. Like, I, I, do, mean, I don't know, Pip, yeah. because I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming not everybody's experience is like mine, and yeah. theirs might be very different. I always cite this one writer I worked with at um, Shortland Street who used to never miss a deadline and space out her work, and I used to be like, <laughs> because it's so foreign to me who's yeah. obviously normally chasing my tail and missing deadlines but um yeah I don't know I do I do find it all a bit of a mystery and I find it weird part of me finds it weird you know because I teach the Institute of Modern Letters one trimester a year kind of weird that I don't understand how I do it but there are things that I've learnt along the way that I know can potentially help other people you know yeah, it is a bit of a mystery. I know that I'm, like, just personally, I'm in this process of sort of undoing, you know, like, I I realised about 
um, oh, this is embarrassing, I realized, and possibly libelous, um, four or five years ago, that often I would say to people, oh, this is how you write. And very quickly I realized that how I write is very similar to what you're saying. Like, there's a noise and I follow it and I know when it's off key and I know when it's right and I know when people are relating properly. And, uh, you know, this interesting idea that maybe the work that needs to be done around that is left less around craft and more around, um, I don't know, attuning myself to it when I see it, when I read it, and attuning myself to it when I see it. You saying that makes me think of one of the rare times when I helped my much younger brother with his um, high school English homework. And, you know, my little brother, um, not a huge fan of English, but had to write a, a creative writing bit. And um, got him to finally got him to do a zombie thing because that's the thing that got him going. And he actually got um, pushback from the bloody teacher, you know, because it wasn't within the whatever stick parameters. But I was like, this kid's written a story, and he actually enjoyed writing it because mm. he could he could picture it, and it was all tumbling out, you know. So I think there is something to be said for for the that for that not necessarily being. Um, in quotation marks, correct, but uh, coming from a, a gut. I often talk about gut and intuition because mm. I think I feel like I am more than ever a gut-led writer, you know, and follow it. And my head is the thing that will talk me out of things, and that is where I pay the price. In the past, I've talked about a play I wrote called Village People, where, um, which is about you know three naughty little mixed race Samoans um, going to Samoa and being wretched white tourists once removed, <laughs> you know. Um, but while I was writing it, the tsunami hit in Samoa, this is in 2009, and my head told me to add the tsunami to the end of the piece. And partly that was because I wanted to be writing a Samoan version of August Osage County, <laughs> you know, hitting all those glorious notes that that piece does. Um, and the end result was that it just didn't work. Mm. And I put that down to my listening to my head. Because I think, if I'm honest, my gut was going, you don't need to add that tsunami as a, you know, gigantic coda to this work. Mm. It doesn't deserve to be there. Man, I so relate to that. You know, like, I really relate to that. Because I think a lot of, you know, like, when I grew up, grew up, what that means, I don't know, when I started reading books when I was, like, 30, um, <laughs> you know, like, what I read was a lot of these people that would talk about craft and you know like yeah. this and that and, and I do think there's work but I think so much of it is gut you know like for yeah. me and and um that's frightening for me because you know like I can if it's craft you know like when I was cutting hair I could you know lift it up and cut it and I'd get the result I wanted but I think with gut it's so much scarier because what if it's not there that day oh my god anyway I'm gonna and it's you know this is a weird well, not weird maybe weird's not the right word but this is such a subjective field that we're in, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I often say one of the most liberating things for me as a writer is knowing that not everybody will like my work. I agree. That yeah. has been the most liberating thing probably for me. Yeah. But as long as I can, I'm happy to stand behind it as the artist, you know, that's the main thing. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we all want to be liked, right? And you know, when we put our when we put our babies on display to be judged, we all want them to get the the red ribbon or the, or the gold medal. But um, not everyone's going to love our baby as much as we do. But mm. as long as we do love the baby, yeah, mm. that's the main thing.
And I mean, that must be interesting with theatre as well. Like, um, you know, like, if you, I don't know where writers watch plays from, but, like, you must be able to see reaction in real time to what you've created. That's what I love about theatre, you know, and I think that's what I love coming back to Club Paradiso was having that communion with the, the audience and feeling it and hearing the screams and <laughs> seeing the guy walk out, you know, which happened on the final night here in Wellington having that reaction and a nicer version of that is um, I went to see a play called um, Every Brilliant Thing I don't know if you've seen it which is a one person show essentially about suicide um, and the, uh, the whoever is the, the actor or actress uses um, the audience to tell the story and again beautiful sense of communion mm. you know I'd really, I, I realised watching this I watched it end of last year in Gisborne I'd miss that sense of communion in theatre because I haven't seen a lot of theatre since yeah you know COVID because that must be I I um it's one of the things I like I don't think I ever had it you know and I can't I guess like the salon was a big bit like that you know like you'd sort of riff off each other and you know often you know someone would help you with a colour and that kind of thing but I just think um Fiction's tough like that, eh? Like, it's that, I, I always feel this weird thing where it goes out into the world and I don't, you know, like, someone might say something, but I don't sit next to someone while they're reading it. Oh, that sounds ridiculous. That would be horrible. Fiction. All I know about fiction is, um, and this is going on a tangent, is that um, what I've liked about it is how you can go... Uh, interior so much more you can interrogate and investigate things in a much different way from um, film theater and TV and I, uh, I I I don't find it easy writing fiction but I really I really like the ability to be able to try and do that that interior stuff that you can't really do as easily in the other the other forms because that's I was thinking about that the other day like how um like again it's very stupid but um you know i was watching something and i was thinking the only way i know what this person is thinking is by the way they move what they reply to the person you know there's that emotion of the performance and that sort of thing but i just i really love ang lee and the way that it feels like every character is saying the opposite of you know they're not saying what they really think you know and i I think it, it is for me I don't know what I'd do without being able to go to that internal space, like, you know, then thinking and that sort of thing. Like, Did you just watch Gemini Man with Will Smith? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Nor should you. I think, I think it was, I think it was um, Search Party, which, you know, it was something, you know, which is kind of like this campy kind of noir thing, but there were, you know, like it was very important that I knew that when someone was saying something, they weren't telling the truth. And I was thinking, how the hell do they do that? You know, and I, I guess, and this must be interesting for you as a writer, you know, like to put those words into another body, you know what I mean? Like to put those into an actor, you know, who then takes it and does something with it. And, oh, it is, it is, it's interesting because, you know, you write, um, you write, and you hear it. This is like for film, TV, and theatre. And then, of course, when you hand it over, you've got no control over it. Um, and sometimes it comes out. Sometimes it comes out so different, but so right. You know. And sometimes it just comes out different. <laughs> but mostly, it comes out 
Yeah. It's interesting, this whole process of handing it over, you know, and relinquishing control. But, you know, part of that for me, particularly in the last half of my theatre career, has been, um, you know, being able to choose the people that I want to work yeah. with. and yeah you know, sometimes actively writing for people, such as my very good friend Annabella Bolotaivao, who um, directed a version of my cousin Tusiata Abia's play Wild Dogs Under My Skirt, um, all the way to off-Broadway last year, and she was in it as well. And she was in, she was in my last play, um, Uma Lava, which went on in uh, 2019 here in Wellington. And um, I wrote that actually when I was had my residency at... Um, IIML yeah. and um, yeah I got her to do all sorts of unspeakable things in that role and I loved it <laughs> and she can you swear at this yeah yeah I gave her the script and she was like fuck you Victor but she still <laughs> did it yeah and I loved her for that because mm. I mean there must be I don't know like there must be an amazing amount of trust that builds up as well like I mean yeah I mean we're old mates I yeah. don't know that she what I required of her for that role for everyone um, but I'm glad she did for me and it's fun you know I think it's again for her she's someone that in film and TV hasn't always had the opportunity to hit all the notes that she can hit and theatre gives her a chance to do that mm. try something on for size that, I mean I wondered if we could talk a little bit about you talked about taking um, Tusiata's and your work to to New York like in New Zealand I feel like I've really been taught that um, place you know like that that you know place in a large way makes us who we are and it's slightly I'm just thinking about like this idea that Tangata Whenua have of whakapapa with the land and you know like as a living breathing thing what is it to take a work that's kind of set in a place to a place that's a long way from there? I mean, the thing that comes to mind is, uh, and I'm sure you've um, experienced this, or no, I can't presume, maybe you haven't. <laughs> Funnily enough, the more specific you are in your material, no matter where it's set, the more universal it becomes. So people, I mean, I think we have learned that from the, the we've, we're always, or have always been, historically fed American work, British work, Australian work, where we don't always get the references, but we cope, and we figure it out, and we can still feel it, even though these are set in places that we, most of us, or some of us won't know, but we get it. And I think the, the reverse um, was true, uh, especially for Wild Dogs Under My Skirt, you know? People, um, American audiences, what I what I observed, as long as they could feel their way through the play, because they wouldn't get, they wouldn't, <laughs> unless they had an intense knowledge of Samoan culture, they wouldn't have got everything uh, in their play, but they could feel it. And so long as they allowed themselves to feel it, they were satisfied. If they couldn't allow themselves to feel it and needed to know what X meant, what Y meant, then they struggled with it. Mm, mm. So those are the two definite camps. And I think that's, you know, that's that's true of my work too that's been in, in the States and in um, the UK. Like I had a play, Black Faggot, mm. that's been in Hawaii and um, Aussie and Edinburgh. People aren't going to know what Pack and Save is, but they, they'll get it, you know, and they're not going to know 
a particular psalm or a phrase, but they'll get it, you know, and they'll cope. Mm. Yeah. It's an amazing thing, eh? Like that. Oh, sorry. Now I'm sounding polyamorous, but not poly polyamorous, <laughs> polyamorous. Um, but there too as well. Um, there's that interesting thing, isn't it? Where um, if you can catch it on an emotional level, there's yeah, it's interesting with art like that, eh? Yeah. Like yeah, I was just thinking yeah, because I was thinking about. Um, you can feel it. You don't have to know it. I'm trying to think of Annabella did a, a, um, a opera called um, Alofania, uh, which was uh, performed in the Manyariwa um, homestead, the home, um, whatever it's called. Anyway, Manyariwa, um, with the Sole Mio mm. and some other performers. I could not tell you what the story was if I had to review it. I can only tell you that I felt it. I felt every bit of it and was incredibly moved by it, mm. you know? And it was enough, for me. I felt it. It was a sensory experience. Mm. I didn't need to know X, Y, and Z, mm. you know? I think, you know, like, I was thinking about that translation to maybe um, Pākehā audiences in New Zealand as well. You know, like, I feel like... Um, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with that. I just feel like you do some awesome some work. Some of them in cope, that. and some of them don't. It, yeah, you know? yeah. That's, that's true for Polynesian audiences. Some of them cope with my work, and some of them really don't. Yeah, it's so true. You know, always going to be a spectrum. Can I do a weird? Um, I'm going to do a weird tangent. I just want to talk about Shortland Street just for a moment, if that's oh, okay. Yes. 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 I, I really, I, I like television. Um, I'm just wondering, what is it to write into something that has such a cultural, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like it's, you know, what am I trying to say? You know, like you're, you're writing into, yeah, you're writing into a tradition kind of, if you know what I mean. Like When I got that job in 2000, I was living on Disney Street in a small room uh, where the shower was literally in the kitchen and my <laughs> in lieu of drawers I had a large piece of cardboard <laughs> to put all my clothes on um, so I when I got that gig I don't think I was thinking about the <laughs> writing into the tradition <laughs> I was thinking about every second Tuesday which was payday <laughs> to be completely honest um yeah, I mean, Shortland Street, I worked for Shortland Street on and off 14 years, maybe. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, the one thing, I mean, because look, I, as, as anyone who had to deal with my scripts will tell you, you know, <laughs> often late and not always good, to be completely honest. Um, but the one thing I always did like about Shortland Street was that here was, um, a chance, uh, seven o'clock, Monday to Friday, to hear us, mm. you know, a chance mm. to hear our vernacular, or close to our vernacular, you know, as opposed to all the British, American, Australian stuff that, that um, we used to see on TV. This was us. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, 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 that's what I think one of its chief strengths is. It's us. Mm. Well, us-ish. I just, I mean, I just remember, yeah, 
I remember the excitement before, you know what I mean, when everyone was auditioning and, you know, like, this idea that we would have a neighbours or that we would have a, you know, I, I remember feeling, and, and I was very antisocial, you know what I mean, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like loving the mainstream, but like, I, I, I just watched it for years and I think you're right, I think you're dead right. Yeah, I, um, I was in, in London when I just, when it started, so it was already going when I came back. And, um, you know, I went to drama school not long after and almost one of, I think one of my first auditions out of drama school, or maybe it was before drama school, was to play a Tongan prince. <laughs> Which, you know, if there was a visual attached to this interview, we realised, uh, yeah. Did you get not the role? <laughs> I did not. I did not. I didn't, I didn't get a role on Shorten Street till I, um. I think 2010, when I was still writing for the show, I had a wee, wee role as one of Robbie Mangasima's mates. Nice. As a naughty dentist. <laughs> Sorry! Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, that's genius. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's And um, after doing that role, I just thought all the writers should actually, mm. if they haven't had the chance to mm. act on it, they should, because it's, it's a tough environment for the actor. You know, or for everyone ever, it's long days, but you know, if they are good on that show, they're doing it against the odds because it's so fast. Mm. Yeah, and some of them are very good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's very exciting. Oh my God, I, oh, makes me want to sit down and just binge it now. Oosh. We're so good. Oosh. Um, we're just about done. I don't think I've got anything else. I was just gonna, uh, I don't know, what have I got? We were talking a little bit about Rurangi before. Yes. And I just wonder, yeah, like, do you want to talk a little bit about what's exciting about that? If anyone gets to see it. Um, what is exciting about it? I mean, uh, as I said before this started, I don't know that I've cried that much at a film mm. for a very long time. That really, yeah, it really moved me. Mm. Um, the writing impressed me. The acting was phenomenal. It starts, um, it starts in a kind of grip shoe and it doesn't really let go, you know? Um, yeah, it's just a terrifically well-made film mm. that I'm so um, grateful they made, mm. you know? It's, it's spectacular. And yeah. I think, again, you know, like... Um, it just speaks to that thing you're talking about, about specificity, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's oh, very specific in its place and its time totally. and its and that's what, that is what makes it universal. For me, it's essentially a father-son story, mm. you know, and, um, you know, there's a scene with, yeah, I mean, I won't spoil it, but towards the end with the father and the son, and I was just like, almost on the floor, almost literally on the floor, you know, howling watching it beautiful beautiful work and like I mean I think I, I was the same and like I think I think that I lose sight of this constantly is that um it's kind of been created from nothing you know what I mean like this way that I can it can make me feel it can give me that physical the same with Club Paradise so you know the way that you know every now and then when I was watching it especially in that 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 reading space you know in that place I had to sort of look out the window to remind myself where I was and 
and every time I did that, I was just like, how is this, how is this doing this? And it just got me so excited. Like, it's pretty amazing I job. think art, art in general is amazing the way it can move us. I mean, you talking then just makes me think of um, uh, Elizabeth Strout, who was one of my favourite writers. There's a bit in Olive Kitteridge that just, um, out of no, because I don't cry very often with, mm. with literature, mm. but she's written, I think, three books now that have made me all my eyes out so beautifully humanist and mm. it's through her specificity that um, she can reach me yeah. you know with all my black heartedness <laughs> and cynicism <laughs> she somehow penetrates that and it's, it's, it's beautiful that's amazing thank you so much Victor I always love talking to you I totally love it. what a pleasure thank you Okay, so um, by way of sort of some kind of written response to the podcast, um, this is an idea um, that you might want to run with. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you have lots of ideas, but maybe you want um, some sort of prompt. So yeah, Victor talks about um, how he changed the location of um, the bar Club Paradiso is based on. So, um, you know, he, he took a... Um, he took a bar or the name of a bar that was one place and moved it to a different place and I was just wondering about what happens if we move a place that we know well to a new location so what I thought you could do um, or what I did um, after I finished editing this was I thought of a location that I really really um, know well and I just shifted it. Um, I didn't shift it anywhere like the moon or Mars or anything like that, but you could do that. Um, I just shifted it a few suburbs over and then what I did was I just sat myself down in that place and I wrote for three minutes. And um, it was it was really interesting. Um, yeah, like um, just that difference in slight location can do to sort of seeing a place freshly but also the imaginative work that needs to um, take place sort of thinking about how to get there and um, whether the weather would be different or the sun would be in a different place and those sorts of things so yeah there you go how did I write it I think I wrote it down as um, what happens if you take a place you know well and move its location you could place yourself in this newly located place and have a look around and then write for three minutes so yeah if you want to do that awesome and yeah I hope you have a good day thanks <laughs>